Morning, everybody. My name is Jeremy, the pastor here, and uh, thankful to be able to be here uh, with you this morning. Uh, every day is a gift. Never know what's coming around the next corner, but uh, thankful to be together here today. If you're familiar with Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, I wouldn't be a good pastor without mentioning him and C.S. Lewis uh, at least once every three sermons. So this is my Tolkien quota for the day. But I'm not going to go the direction that you probably think. One of Tolkien's lesser known stories that you can, it's a quick read. You can read it in about 30 minutes. You can find it online. Uh, it's called Leaf by Niggle, N-I-G-G-L-E. Weird word. We'll get into it in a minute. But if you've ever seen, there's a documentary, or not a documentary, there's a movie about Tolkien's life that's out. You can, if you've ever read any of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you can, uh, you can understand that there is like this detail-oriented nature to him. Because he believed that you had to create not only a story, but you had to create a world for that story to inhabit. You had to create a world so that the reader would be believable in the way that they would enter into that story, that they would be able to enter into that reality in all of its complexity. And so he creates this language, multiple languages. He creates uh, these characters of, with such depth. He creates these maps of entire worlds that he creates just out of his mind. He was a perfectionist. And as one who is a perfectionist, uh, he struggled to sometimes get out of the details and see the big picture. So he wrote this story. This man named Niggle, which the, the name or the word to Niggle in, that, uh, in Britain around that time just meant to kind of putter around. To kind of putter around, get, you know, maybe really into some of the details, but to kind of maybe lose the bigger picture. So there's this image that he's creating of himself in this character, it seems. And this man, Niggle, has a trip, a journey that's just around the corner. And he's not really looking forward to that journey because that journey is this metaphor for his death. And there's this journey out ahead of him, and he thinks, I have so much to do between now and the time that I take this journey. He was a painter, but in the way that the, the, uh, the passage describes it, he's not a very good one. Because he spends a lot of time kind of focusing on things that aren't really important. He's, you know, maybe a little distractible. He kind of putters around sometimes and is not maybe as, you know, ambitious or engaging as he wishes he was. But he's always been particularly good at painting leaves. And he has in, in his mind's eye this giant painting that he wants to paint. It requires a ladder for him to get all the way to the top of the canvas. And he, he desires to see an entire beautiful tree and this sort of landscape behind of mountains and this landscape in the foreground of all of these tree, other trees and flowers and flora and fauna. And in his mind's eye, this is going to be amazing. But 
true to his character and true to his form. He gets distracted. He's also one that describes himself as very gentle and kind, the kind of gentle and kind that can feel anxiety inside a lot, a a lot of uh, guilt inside because of all the things I could be doing to help other people. It also means that anytime he gets asked for help, he very quickly will run to help those others. And all of these things begin to push back this thing in his mind's eye that he so wants to spend his life doing, and that is this beautiful painting. He, he squeaks out some leaves, one in particular that he's really proud of, and all of the shading and the spacing and the veins in the leaves, it just looks so real like you took a picture of it. And then he begins to sketch out the rest of this beautiful tree and sketch out some of the landscape in the back and begin to fill some of those things in with colors, but not nearly to any degree of perfection or any sort of completion. And then before you know it, it's time for him to take his journey. This description of this leaf by this man named Niggle is a description of our work life. It is a description of what it's like for us to set about any sort of ambition that you may have, any sort of creativity that you desire, uh, any sort of dominion that you so long to have, any sort of parenting project, home project, creative project, work project, anything that you put your hands to, there's this tension. There's this tension between I so, in my mind's eye, long to see this beautiful masterpiece. And yet, all these things keep getting in my way. And I keep getting frustrated, sometimes even just with myself. I can't get to where I want to go, to where I see myself being able to go. Some days, I just don't have that much ambition, period. And I just kind of want to sit around. Wherever you may slide on that scale between sort of the overwork side of grit my teeth, I will complete this, whatever this is. Or swaying on the other side to, gosh, there's just so much to do, it just kind of makes me want to do nothing. Wherever you find yourself, this passage today has something to say to us. Because work is difficult. Work many times feels more like plugging holes in a sinking ship than it does being the captain of it. What happened? How do we begin to have a healthy conception, a healthy understanding of whatever calling, whatever work the Lord has put in front of us? So we're gonna read the very first account of the creation of human beings. And inherent in that creation is work. And so listen for the connection that the writer is making here, and then we're going to try to extrapolate some of those to help us understand our work, okay? Adrian Pedersen. Come on down. So we're going to be in five verses of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God said, saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Adrian. So what... What we see here is a picture of, <clears throat> and this, if you're new to this account in Genesis, or if it's just been a while since you've read it, it's very easy to make the assumption that work must be something that happened after everything broke and went haywire, and then sort of work is our like ability you know, to try to put all of those things back together. So we may be a little surprised to find that this account in Genesis 1 is before this world goes haywire. It's before any brokenness enters into it. This is a picture of perfection. And in that picture of perfection is work. Rule it. Have dominion over it. Subdue it. Fill it. Multiply. All of these things God has given our hands to do. And this is a royal hour. This is a corporate hour. This is all of humanity hour. This is speaking to our origin and who we are at a core identity. Because we're in this series uh, in the book of Genesis in the first 12 chapters called Back Where I Began, The Search of Meaning in the Book of Genesis. So we're really after meaning, identity, purpose. That's what we're trying to mine out of all of these stories that may be familiar, may be brand new, but wherever you find yourself this morning as you read this and as you engage... Perhaps the Holy Spirit would catch you in a new way about just how they might apply to you today. Because this word is living and active, sharp, and it pierces and it cuts and it tells us more and more and more about who we are made to be and calls us more and more into that and away from all the things uh, that we are not created to be. So what we're going to do is stick pretty close to sort of the movements of this passage. So uh, first, I kept them all P's. I'm just trying to do all the pastor things today. We got alliteration. We got Tolkien quotes. I am nailing it. Uh, So three P's. The purpose of work, coming out of verse 26. The problem of work, coming out of verse 27. And then the provision of work, coming out of verse 28 through 31, that last little section. So... Let's start with the purpose of work. To understand, because we've just read the account of the creation of mankind, then to understand our work, we also have to understand our humanity. Well, like, what does it mean to be human? This is speaking to foundation, fundamental, bedrock level stuff. So let's look at verse 26 and try to mine out what are some of the things 
that it means for us to be human? What distinguishes us from animals? There's many theories out there about what distinguishes or not us and other animals. What does the Bible have to say to that? Let's look at verse 26, the first half. Then God said, let us make man in our image. We got that? Yeah. Awesome. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, which essentially is one of those times, anytime in scripture you see things that are repeated, it's just to like add extra emphasis. This isn't necessarily saying that there's much different between image and likeness, but it is compounding. It is important, reader, for you to know that there is, uh, there is a image within you, an image of God, a likeness of him within you. What does that mean? As we've read this creation account, nothing else gets this kind of proposition. Nothing else the, the birds in the heaven, the fish in the sea, the other creeping things that creep along the ground, nothing else God says, I'm going to make you in my image. Only of humanity does he say this. Now, uh, what can we do as we are like God and what can't we do as we are like God? Because can we speak and galaxies spin out of our vocal cords? No. Okay, so then there's some things about God that we are not like. But there are other things, even just looking at the first 25 verses of chapter 1 of Genesis, there are things we find of God that we are like, that we do see inside of ourselves and in our uh, common humanity. Here's four. More alliteration, ready? Double alliteration. You're in for it. So we see at least four things. God is creative. God is careful. God is calculating. God's communal. Let's break those things down. God is creative. Go back all the way to verse 1 and verse 2. God creates. Isn't it interesting? He creates first this massive chaos. Water and darkness and everything that's sort of unruly. That's the first thing he creates. When he spins out the galaxies, he doesn't immediately, and spins out the earth, he doesn't immediately put that thing together. It doesn't come out perfect. It comes out as this massive chaos. Then he takes that massive chaos and he forms something beautiful out of it. And so God is a creative God and all the ways that we may take unformed substance, we may take literal clay and we may form that into a beautiful statue or we may take a, a child in sort of this unformed state figuring out who they are and what is reality and how do I live and we help that child more and more to be formed after the image of Christ. Or we take this construction project and we take... Maybe our house is flooded, and in that flood, there's something that now there's a brokenness, but there is something that we can do into that brokenness. And we can turn that brokenness into something beautiful, turn it back into the home that we once saw. In all of these ways, I'm not speaking narrowly just of the things uh, that you may get paid for, but life as vocation. Vocation just means any, that word voca, vocal, Calling is anything that someone else other than you has called you into. That means wherever you find yourself, 
Whatever season you find yourself, if you're a mom staying at home, if you're a student struggling with homework, uh, if you are a retiree, wherever you find yourself, whatever you find your hands doing during the day is what God has called you into. It is your vocation. And it's part of your identity. It's part of who you are. God is creative. He's also careful. Uh, verse 2, the Spirit of God is hovering. And we said that that was like a mother bird over her tiny babies. And there's a love and a care and a joy and a delight that is over his creation and that is over you. He is careful. He is caring. You can very much image that in all kinds of ways. That's why love is sort of a part of our makeup and what we're made to be. There's a care that he has put in you that he desires to be put uh, in other people through you. Third, God is calculating. Remember, moving on uh, to like the, the middle section of Genesis 1, he takes three days and he creates all the habitats. Remember, if you were here last week, I talked about uh, you know, building like giant hamster contraptions and then filling it with hamsters. That was me when I was growing up. He spends three days doing that and then he spends three days filling those things, filling those habitats with living creatures. There's an order to him, a calculatingness to him, an organization to him. There are some of us that image that better than others. I tend to be on the less organizing side. There are others in this room who just love spreadsheets. You may be a little bit more in that image, imaging God in that way than I am. Uh, and then last, God is communal. You see verse uh, 26 as we're moving through. Verse 26 goes back to let us make man in our image. That's an interesting use of a pronoun. Let us make man in our image, not let me make man in my image. Because this is a little tip of the hat to what we find filled out later as our understanding of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all being there at the beginning of creation, working together in tandem, needing nothing, perfectly happy in and of themselves, in perfect relationship, not needing any created thing to do anything for them. That's an affront to what other cultures said that the gods needed out of people to other cultures like the Israelites who this is being spoken to. But he's saying God is totally okay within himself. He's actually delighted. He's joyful in himself. And out of that, he spins out and creates this joyful creation and sings over it as he does. And so wherever you find yourself, that's why all of these things are true of us in our work from childcare to artists, to construction workers, uh, to day laborers, to uh, stay-at-home moms, to anything you find your hands doing, all of these things are imaging your creator. Or not. Because what makes sense now to us is to say, well, okay, then if verse 26, the second half says, let us have dominion over all things, Dominion just means king's rule. And so there is something that has been given to us that is part of our identity to rule over this creation, to break off 
parts of creation and to make something beautiful out of it. My, my great Dane can't cook dinner. He can only eat my dinner that's on the table because he's the same height as my table. That's something only humans can do. Uh, there is capacity that only humans have in our ability to image our God. It's a core component to our humanity because it's a core component to who God is. And so we can't divorce our work from ourselves, but we also can't oversimplify that all we are is workers. Because to move from the purpose of work to the problem of work, this is why we have such a difficult time understanding work to be something that's good because we make it something so bad so quick. And it makes sense that if work is so connected to our identity, it's part of who we are, that we can very easily flip that switch to make work all that we are. Or to go the other direction and push off as much work as we can and say, no, that's, I'm just not going to touch anything. Like Loverboy sings, everybody's working for the weekend, right? There's so much of us in Nashville that we love, there's so much fun stuff to do around here, y'all. I've been here a year, and uh, I've spent more money on recreation probably than I have like in the past five um, because this place is fun, but it's also expensive. So there are those. Our entire structure of our work week can be just to get to the weekend. We work as a necessary evil so that we can get the monies and then we can go do the fun things that we want to go do. That's one way we can slide off of this. And a good section of our workforce today in Nashville is just working so they can pay the bills, so they can go do the things they actually want to do. You have now divorced your identity from your work. And I imagine that there may be something in that that will be less satisfying in your job and in your workplace and even for your output as you do that. Or on the other extreme... My life is so central, my work is so central to my life that my entire life just hovers around it. I have no weekend. Maybe I do, but I just substitute the things, my to-do list during the week for my to-do list on the weekends. That's more this guy. Whichever way you find yourself, like uh, the, you know, Will Ferrell's dad in Elf, that it's almost Christmas time and he's at the kitchen table and he's like gathering his plate together and his drink and he says, I got to go in my room because just I'm just so busy. I have so much stuff to do. Or you may be more like Elf <laughs> who has nothing to do and just enjoys doing whatever happens to be his fancy in the moment. Whichever side you sway on those, whichever one you identify with, Verse 27 begins to help us understand how this went so wrong. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So verse 26 is like God's thoughtfulness. This is what I'm going to do. Verse 27, it happens. So God created. He does it. He makes man in his image, creative, careful, calculating, communal. And then he just sets us loose. So quickly, though, 
as those who have been made with will and choice and creative desire and compassion or and, and passion. All of those things set up a humanity that can then take those things and say, thank you, I'm going to leave. Thank you, God. Thanks for making me. You made a super cool world. Now I'm going to go over here and enjoy it my own way. He created people with the capacity to do that, to walk away from him with their will. And so this world has now spun out of control. We so quickly turn dominion that he's called us to, a kingly rule. And in this context that it's being written in, that kingly rule is one that is the good kings in the ancient Near East were made to take care of the least and the lost, to make sure everyone in their kingdom sphere was taken care of. But we so quickly turn that dominion of care that he has given us and instead turn that into a dominance that's just about me. Because if God's communal, that means there's something in us that has been made to be about someone other than me. My work is not meant to be only for my good, it's meant to be for yours. But we so quickly turn that back inward and turn that back into something that is consuming of all things. And we consume from our work. We consume uh, all of the applause from our work. We consume all of the funds from our work. We consume everything that we can. And any bit of service that we may dole out is really ultimately for our ends and not for anybody else's. That's the problem with work. That's our purpose and what God has set before us. That's where we have fallen short. But now look at the remainder of the chapter. And remember, the context here is this is being written to slaves. This is being written to Israelite slaves who are coming out of 400 years of slavery. And this is being spoken into their lives and into their hearts. And they've believed both of these things. They've fallen off the wagon on both sides. They've believed my identity is a slave because that's all I'm allowed to be. And generation after generation after generation has said, all that you are good for is your work. Who this morning thinks all they are good for is their output. All that you are good for is what you can bring to the table. All that you are good for is how many to-dos you can check off. That hits me. And on the other side, I'm sure they just viewed their work as a necessary evil. They viewed their work not as something that is helping them to flourish and helping other people to flourish. It was just this endless drudgery, one day to the next, one week to the next, one year to the next. Who feels like that in their workplace? Who feels like that in your homes? Who feels like that in your creative work? where it's just this endless drudgery. Everything's always the same. Nothing sparkles anymore. And he's also speaking to a people that when they hear God's image, they would have thought, that's only something that like Pharaoh gets to say. Yeah, like the really important people, they're made more like God, but all us little peons down here, we're nothing. And in all of this, Genesis 1 is speaking, no, it's shouting do you know who you are? And it speaks and it shouts to us this morning. Do you know who you are? In his image, he has made you. Male and female, he has made you. 
to be creative, to be communal, to be caring, to be calculating in all of these ways to image your creator, not because that's where your worth is found. Your worth is found in your God's creation. He delights to make you. He delights to sustain your life, your breath, even that very one that you just took. But sometimes God has to be a little more forceful than that. So there may be times in our work life, uh, in our home life, in the things, the places where we are putting our hands to, that those things may feel like they're falling through our fingers. Where they're, whether it's by failure, uh, whether it's by wrongdoing, whether it's by outside circumstance that you can't control, God takes some of those things from us for a time so that we can see he takes our work from us in whatever he's given us to do so that we can be reminded you are not your work. Your work is given to you as one who already has great dignity. It does not give you dignity. And this is my story. This is our story. In my previous call as a pastor, I created a church in my image. I loved it. And then three and a half years later, we closed it. And he took that away and it slipped through my fingers. And in that moment, when he had taken that from me, I found that he was all I needed. That he could give work, he could take work away. But what I found is that just the dignity of being his was plenty. Is he meddling with any of you in your work right now? Is he meddling with any of you in your identity right now? Is he maybe putting too much on your plate right now that you're having to go, okay, 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 okay. Or is he taking things off of your plate that you're like, no, 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 I want that. Be attentive to what the Lord might be doing because these, these sermon passages we read, uh, the Lord uses them sovereignly, providentially. Part of the, what we see in this passage is that God not only set everything in motion, but he continues to tend. He continues to care. He continues to walk with us, co-creating as we co-create with him as his co-heirs. Because if this is what he knew to be true, verse 28 and 29, and God blessed them. And he said, behold, I have given you. And there's this sense of generosity from God. I'm, I've given you all of this earth. Enjoy it. I've given you all of these things. And in fact, I'm going to keep the sun coming up and setting every day. And I'm going to keep the breath going in and out of your lungs. And I'm going to keep your life as many days as I have set for your life. And I'm going to control all of that with perfection and glory, just as before the foundation of the world, I meant for it to go. But here's what we know. That if he knew the end, if he knew he was creating people that were going to have a tendency to go totally haywire, 
then he would also have to create a plan so that those people would not be lost forever, so that his creation would not crumble. Because if what we know by just looking at the news in the past week is true, if this world is just left in our hands, there's too much bad to outweigh the good. There's too much wrong to outweigh the right. And that's just what we see out there, let alone what we bring to the table. Let alone all the, all the evil things that we do with all of the places that God has given us that we would rather take than give. That we would rather curse than bless. Because from Wall Street to Walmart, it's all broke. What do we do? Enter into this picture, Matthew 1. Enter into this picture, the beginning of the gospel accounts of Jesus. And at the beginning of those gospel accounts, the announcement that's being proclaimed is, repent and believe the gospel because the kingdom of God is here. Now that seems kind of odd because if the kingdom of God is here, what about Genesis 1? What about all the time between Jesus and Genesis 1? Was the kingdom of God not also there? Well, remember, to be Part of God's kingdom is that we are ruling and reigning over it rightly. And what Jesus' announcement is saying is there's only one who's done that. There's only one who has lived a perfect life, ruling and reigning, filling and subduing perfectly. And so Jesus enters into this world as one who created it, now entering into it, and he lives this perfect life. Listen, so if you're a student, he lived as a perfect student. He always delighted to do his homework. But he also knew that his identity was not in his homework. Uh, he was one who was a perfect brother who struggles there. Perfect sibling, perfect child. As he grows up, uh, he begins to apprentice to his father as a carpenter. He becomes a perfect worker at a very menial job but one that is given dignity. Even the smallest job by Jesus' work of being a carpenter is swelling with dignity. And then he spends three years announcing the kingdom of God is here now because there is one who is going to rule and reign and have the dominion that mankind was created for. And in his death, he takes all of those broken ways that you and I either push work away or pull work too close. He takes all of our bad works and he buries them. And then this new life then spins out in the same way that life spun out in Genesis 1. So life spins back out as Jesus is raised from the dead three days later. And this new commission that we now have, fill the world, subdue it, now given a particular message, not in and of ourselves, but to say, the kingdom of God is here. The perfect man has lived. The perfect man has died. And now you, being united with him, can be remade in his image and can now be a part of this recreation process, filling and ruling and subduing the world. Okay, that's a really big umbrella. Let's try to make this a little more pointed as we close. To finish out the story of Mr. Niggle. 
He goes on this journey, but that's not the end. He shows up on the other side, and in this sort of version of the afterlife, he enters it, and from far away, he sees this tree. And it, it sort of resembles the tree that he had in his mind's eye. And as he gets a little bit closer, he realizes, that is my tree. And he runs up to it, and he looks at the leaf, and he says, this is the leaf. This is the leaf that I've made, but now it's real. And then he sees, this is the tree I had in my mind's eye, but now it's just not just on a canvas, it's right in front of me. And those are the mountains with snow at the peak. And this is the, the grass that I know that was soft and green and lush. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Part of what helps us engage in our work rightly now is to know that it won't be complete. Anything we do, if you're in nursing, people will still get sick. If you're in construction, things that you build will break and rot. <clears throat> if you're in music, songs will be written, songs will be forgotten. But the, the echo of the true and the real and the beautiful that you are sensing and that pulls you into that great work and that motivates a lot of that is not fully going to be found here. And to the degree that you try to spin and make it, frustration, anxiety, fear, anger is what's going to spin out of that. But to live as a finite being in God's world, given this creation, to enjoy and to fill and to have dominion over in our time, in our season, knowing that whatever you put your hands to now, you never know that little leaf that you're working on now, what that might look like in the new creation. What that little work that you're working on now that you find your hands to do tomorrow, Monday morning, what it may turn into, the beauty and the glory that it may turn into when you see it for what it really is. That's what gives us motivation in our work. And that's also what lets us take a deep breath and trust that God is God. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask that you would still our hearts today. Remind us that our identity is not our work, but it is found squarely and solely what you think about us. And we are invited into this grand story to be in union with you, letting all of those things that we have made work to be that are not you, letting them die more and more and picking up the easy yoke and the light burden of working alongside our Father. Give us that kind of dignity. Spirit, communicate that to our hearts because we're gonna forget it when we wake up tomorrow morning. Send us into whatever you are calling us into in this next week with a great sense of hope and a great sense of humility. We pray it in Christ, amen.